0: To creating a family, talk about infertility. We'll be talking today about the human microbiome and its effect on fertility. And this is a subject that I am personally absolutely fascinated by. And and honestly, from the response to a show we did a few years ago on this topic, it's a subject of great interest to many of you. Now, don't tune us out because you think this is going to be a biology lesson, because it won't be. And I would be very surprised if you don't find it not only interesting, but coming, you'll come away with a, a new perspective on the complexity, and and honestly, the beauty of the human body. That's how this subject always leaves me feeling. We will be talking today with Dr. Jason Frenasiak. He is a board-certified reproductive endocrinologist with EVRMA New Jersey. He is a board-certified high-complexity laboratory director and andrology laboratory director, an assistant professor at the Division of Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility at Thomas Jefferson University, he is the scientific program chair at the Pacific Coast Reproductive Society meeting this year in 2019. And he is the textbook editor on, or a textbook editor on, reoccurrent implantation failure. And last but certainly not least, he is the, on the board of directors at Creating a Family. Welcome, Dr. Fernasiak, to Creating a Family.
1: Thank you very much, Don. It is a pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, yeah, this t- this subject is truly a fascinating one and, and always leaves me, honestly, a bit in awe. Um, we are the, the, I think we're all aware of the impact of infections are significant disturbances to the microbiome, you know, such as chlamydia or gonorrhea. And we can easily understand that that the impact that might have on fertility and general health. But today we want to focus on the impact of normal or healthy microbiome on fertility. Um, and just to, to, to give some numbers, um, uh, uh, out there, the humans have evolved alongside of, of the microbiomes and they populate our body. And these, the, the, the microbiomes outnumber our, there are so many, they outnumber our human cells by 10 to 1, which is kind of overwhelming when you really think about it. So we've known for a long time that the microbiome of of the vaginal tract is important for establishing the gut microbiome for infants during childbirth. But the microbiome is far more impactful in in reproduction and fertility than just that. Uh, And much of what we know Uh, from the, uh, uh, about the microbiome uh, has been found, not exclusively, but a lot of it has been found in a fascinating project, the Human Microbiome Project. Can you tell us just a bit about that, just because I think it is so
1: fascinating from a a basic science standpoint? Sure, absolutely. Uh, The Microbiome Project was um, a five-year project, which was started in 2007, And this was done at the NIH, the National Institute of Health. And it involved a collection of nearly 5,000 specimens from 242, uh, quote unquote, healthy um, adults. They had a very long exclusion criteria list that looked at uh, trying to get uh, a group of the healthiest folks that they could get. Uh, And there were about 130 males. Uh, and they were sampled at 15 different sites on their body and 113 females uh, that were uh, sampled at 18 different sites on their body, which included um, three vaginal sites. Um, And, uh, you know, it was a very, very interesting study. Uh, I think in particular, in relation to the reproductive tract microbiome, um, it showed two very interesting things. And that was that there was less Uh, or there was very low so-called alpha diversity, and that means diversity within the sample uh, and also low beta diversity, so diversity between samples. So they sampled these individuals at different time points. Um, And what that really kind of says in in plain English is that the quote-unquote normal microbiome Uh, is fairly consistent and consists of uh, relatively um, uh, low um, levels of diversity outside of really the lactobacilli, which we'll talk, I'm sure, more about here.
0: Yeah. And that that may not sound interesting, but if you look at other places on the body, um, we see a much greater diversity. So it really is kind of interesting. And also, if you think about the fact that different people and coming from different places and different life experiences um, would have very little diversity between them, it's, it's also interesting. So what um and this is a very broad question, but let's start with it What microbial flora exists naturally in the healthy and we're going to start with females the healthy female reproductive tract, and where do we find it? You've just mentioned the uh the vagina, so let's start there um and and, and kind of work upwards as to uh where microbes exist and 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 if I guess it's less important exactly what they are but uh, but anyway, just what exists and where
1: sure. So, you know, the the microbiome um, exists all up and down the female reproductive tract. Um, The vaginal microbiome, um, I think, has certainly been most talked about and well characterized in the medical literature and also the the lay press for many, many years. Um, When we talk about vaginal infections like bacterial vaginosis or vaginitis, um, these are things which are, are very commonplace in um, in the minds of, of women uh, and of their
0: physicians. Uh, well, yeah, just think about yeast infections. There is not a woman alive who hasn't had that. So we think in terms of, uh, yeah, you're right. And, and because the vagina is exposed to the outside, it makes sense that there's going to be a microbiome
1: existing there. Absolutely. And I think that um, for a, a fair amount of time, Uh, it was thought within the medical world that that was where the microbiome ended. So the cervix, the entrance to the uterus um, with the um, uh, uh, cervical mucus and the immune changes which occur between the uterus and the vagina, it it was often thought actually that the uterine environment was sterile, meaning that there were no microbes which existed in the uterine cavity. And that has since been proven to be false. Um, The uterine microbiome is actually um, very well characterized now. uh, And certainly, we, we, we see a Uh, increase in the number of microbes in the uterine cavity as well. And it is a little bit different than the vaginal microbiome, both in terms of the number of microbes which exist and the types which exist. um, But there are nonetheless uh, a a uterine microbiome. Uh, And we do see that carry out into the remainder of the reproductive tract. So we see uh, a reproductive uh, microbiome in the fallopian tubes and even in the follicles where the eggs are developing in the ovaries. Yeah,
0: that's just absolutely fascinating. How how does how do um, microbes get into places inside our body? I, again, the vagina, I get but i and and i could even imagine i guess the uterus somehow i mean through childbirth or whatever but how how does it get up into the around the ovaries
1: yeah so there are a couple of different mechanisms which are thought to contribute to this and none of them is known exactly but one of them is just by simply simply ascending the reproductive tract so going from Vagina, through the cervix, into the uterus, and out into the fallopian tubes. And all these things are contiguous and and are connected with one another. And the fallopian tubes uh, end uh, adjacent to the ovaries. And it is thought that perhaps that is how the uh, microbes can get there. The other mechanism would be uh, hematogenous spread or spread within the blood system. Uh, In fact, there's some very interesting data about. Um, the microbiome of the placenta, uh, which is the organ that nourishes a growing child. And that um, has been shown to be very um, similar to the mouth microbiome. And the only way that the mouth microbiome could be transmitted to the placenta is via hematogenous or blood spread.
0: That's fascinating. And what would be we're gonna well we will come back to that because we're going to talk in a minute about uh how the organisms impact fetal growth, and so we'll, we'll come back to that all right um uh, so so all the entire way up the uh um, the reproductive tract the female reproductive tract we have microbiomes um and, and when I guess I should start by saying when we speak of microbiomes, are we only speaking of bacteria or are there other um uh, critters that um, um which is
1: not a medical term hmm. uh, that exists uh, along with bacteria. Yes, yeah, so, Don. So there, there are other um, other things which make up the global term, the microbiome, uh, and this includes viruses and uh, fungi. And um, the bacteria are often the most well characterized and most well studied. Um, and I say most well studied very loosely, as this is a, a, a kind of a field which is still in progress. So even the most well-studied things are still relatively poorly studied.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it is a, a yeah, it's a, it's a defined term as we say. Uh, all right. Now we've talked about uh, the female reproductive tract. Let's talk about the male reproductive tract. So what microbial flora exists in a healthy male uh, and where? I'm speaking of the reproductive tract, not not all over the body. Got
1: it. Yeah. So in terms of the, the male reproductive tract, uh, it's uh, very uh, similar to the female in that it exists all the way up and down. So uh, it can exist in the urethra and the ejaculatory duct or the kind of the terminal portion of the reproductive tract for the male. And then in many of the organs and portions of the reproductive tract that lead to the testis, so things like seminal vesicles, vas deferens, the epididymis, um, and then even in the testis, there is uh, evidence that there is a a microbiome which exists. So very similar to the females, the males have an active microbiome all up and down their reproductive tract.
0: And I would guess that it is different from the uh, the bacteria, viruses, fungi that you see in a female. Or are there similarities? Or are there, or is it distinctly different? So there
1: are some differences, but one of the things that has been interesting is that some of the preliminary findings once again show that the lactobacilli dominance again; these are the types of bacteria that dominate the female reproductive tract. The lactobacilli that lactobacilli dominance is. Um, typically considered a a good or a helpful thing when it comes to some of the aspects of uh, the male reproductive tract. So things like oligospermia or low sperm counts, um, things like asthenospermia or abnormalities in the motion of sperm, uh, and things like leukospermia or presence or absence of white blood cells in the semen.
0: Okay, and so how you've talked about the electobacillus how does how does the is there any correlation between the gut microbiome that in our intestinal tract which is fairly well studied uh compared
1: to what we find in the reproductive tract? yeah, so the gut microbiome is certainly something that has been most well studied uh when it comes to the microbiomes and Uh, The gut microbiome has been associated with um, some general inflammatory markers in the body um, and uh, can be altered with um, sickness and and health. And one of the things that we can imagine is alterations in the immune system and the immune markers and inflammation. Um, It may have an impact on the reproductive tract microbiome. Uh, there is not any evidence that I am aware of that has correlated the uh, gut microbiome with the reproductive tract microbiome.
0: So if you have what you feel like, are you, um, that, that you've got issues with your gut microbiome, that does not necessarily mean that you would have, although if you are doing something that would alter the, uh, the balance of the microbiome in your intestinal tract, such as taking antibiotics, you could also expect that it would alter the balance in throughout your body, including the reproductive tract. Would that be,
1: would that be logical? Absolutely logical. So taking antibiotics uh, will be treating whichever infection you are aiming to treat, but antibiotics are a fairly blunt tool um, in order to treat infections. And they don't specifically treat the bacteria that is the cause of the infection, but but end up treating uh, bacteria all over the body. And so certainly uh, taking antibiotics for a particular illness will have an impact on the reproductive tract microbiome.
0: Okay. So we know that we've got a micro, we know what we have uh, microbiomes throughout uh, the, the, now we're talking about the female reproductive tract. And that would include in the fallopian tubes, where the egg and the sperm, in natural conception, are meeting, uh, and 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 conception and fertilization takes place. So, has there been much research on how the microbiome impacts fertilization uh, at that point? Uh, and again, I'm not talking about uh, disease. I'm talking about. It could be imbalances, but not not a, a chlamydia or gonorrhea or syphilis or a disease uh, that exists.
1: Sure. So you know, certainly, as we uh, had alluded to, um, the microbiome can impact spermatogenesis. So it can result in sperm that move uh, less well than uh, other sperm, which are produced in a more optimal environment. Um, it can redu- it can um, result in uh, lower counts of sperm uh, and also white blood cells in the sperm, uh, which uh, can be associated again with just a marker of inflammation. Um, and so those types of things uh, can certainly um, impact or impair fertilization, um, both the sperm, getting to the eggs through the fallopian tubes. And as we mentioned, um, you know, there are clearly uh, diseases which we know of, things such as chlamydia, which cause scarring in the fallopian tubes and impair the movement of sperm to the egg. And then once fertilization occurs, the embryo back to the uterus through the fallopian tube. But uh, we're, we're speaking simply about uh, alterations in the microbiome and not in an infection in the reproductive tract. Um, So Mm -hmm. certainly there are some uh, things which could point towards uh, having impaired fertilization. Um, There is no uh, definitive study that I'm aware of where fertilization rates have been compared um, between folks with different types of microbiomes, although once again, there is data which shows that lactobacilli dominance in the male reproductive tract is associated with improved semen parameters.
0: Let me pause for a moment to tell everybody that this show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. Faring wants you to know that women who are undergoing fertility treatment and are still struggling to conceive, there is an app out there called Ferticom App. And it was designed specifically to help women address the many challenges and and emotional life situations that arise while struggling to conceive. Uh, You can find more information about it uh, at their website, Ferticomapp, F-E-R-T-I-C-A-L-M-A-P-P, Ferticomapp.com. Right, so we have talked about the how the organisms might impact actual fertilization, but now let's talk about implantation. the The egg has as or the embryo at this point has spent some time in the fallopian tubes, wandered its way down, and has now entered the uterus, and with the, the hope of implantation. And you've talked about the fact that there is a a blooming uh, microbiome that exists in the uterus. Does the presence of the microbiome help or hurt implantation? So
1: the answer to that question is yes, uh, it can help and hurt the uh, implantation. So one of the things to remember about the embryo, which has entered into the uterus from the fallopian tubes, is that in essence... Uh, This is a, uh, for lack of a better word, an an invader. Uh, It is a a, a structure which will need to invade into the uterus and invade into the blood supply and then essentially uh, be a parasite for nine months prior to birth. Uh, hopefully, it'll be a very cute parasite once born.
0: <laughs> I was just going to say that's not a very uh, romantic notion of of uh, of a uh, of an embryo, zygote, fetus, or future baby. But go ahead. Uh, you know,
1: it, it's not it's not necessarily meant to be cute, but I think unfortunately, it <laughs> is accurate in that it is yeah. um, a parasite living off of the nutrients of the mother for nine months' time, and then ultimately being born and um, with with other uh, parasites throughout the body, the immune system functions to block their invasion into the the host. Um, So the immune system has to undergo some very interesting and complex changes, some of which we understand and many of which we don't, which uh, allow for the embryo to actually implant in the uterus. And the microbiome has an impact on the immune system uh, and could uh, could certainly have an impact on its ability to uh, allow for invasion or implantation to occur. Uh, we again know that there are uh, there are some data which exists out there which have looked at um, the uterine microbiome. Uh, And again, looking at lactobacilli dominance, and they define this in this study as greater than 90% lactobacilli, um, had improved implantation and delivery rates by comparison to the microbiomes which did not have lactobacilli dominance or less than 90%.
0: Well, does it make sense then if we know that the microbiome that exists in the uterus can influence implantation? Does it And, and then we'll, we'll talk about fetal growth here in just a moment. But does it make sense then to try to alter the first try to test the uh, microbiome or maybe even without testing, just assume that if, if lactobacillus is good and, and a woman is, is struggling uh, with uh, fertility that, result, that we think may be connected to implantation, that we should be introducing lactobacilli in the, in the, in the uterus.
1: Yeah, Dawn, so that is the, the million-dollar question, um, and the answer is is still pending. And despite the fact that the logic makes perfect sense, um, the studies which have looked at doing um, microbiome replacements or things like probiotics, for example, um have have not really been um, studied exceedingly well. There are some studies which have looked at it, although none in IVF or in uh, reproductive medicine, um, some in the pregnancy literature, um, but they uh, really uh, need to be done in order to determine if The microbiome is actually the final culprit, and and it is the actual cause of the things that we're seeing, uh, such as reduced implantation, uh, increased miscarriage rate, um, issues with fetal growth and preterm delivery, or if it's a surrogate marker, meaning that it is a, a marker which exists in concert with some other underlying problem that the person has, uh, that we don't know yet. Uh, and so I think that is the problem with jumping into uh, simply treating something before you really know for certain that it is the cause of the issue.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because especially when you think about what at that, that um, uh, tinkering with uh, something at that really critical stage can also have a negative influence. So jumping in it doesn't make sense. Um, and we're hoping, of course, that there will be more uh, research on this area. Um, all right. So now we've talked about the fertilization. We've talked about implantation. And you alluded to it before. Let's talk some about fetal growth. Uh, and that would also include uh, the placenta. What What is known and I guess what is not known about the microbiome? And it seems to me it would be both the microbiome of the uterine cavity um, and the endometrius, and, and, and as well as the well, and the microbiome of placenta, and then the microbiome of the of the amniotic fluid. Uh, all of those seem like they would be
1: relevant. Are they? Well, we certainly would think that they are. Certainly, there has been associations with um, things like bacterial vaginosis and preterm delivery, uh, and the thought process is that the Abnormality in the microbiome in the vagina ascends up into the cervix and to the amniotic membranes, causing um, chorioamnionitis, which is an infection of the um, membranes which surround the pregnancy. And that inflammation ultimately causes uterine contractions and preterm birth. Um, And so, assuredly, um, when it comes to that, Uh, we know that the microbiome impacts fetal growth because uh, preterm birth will obviously cause um, a low birth weight in individuals who are um, not full term. Uh, Whether or not the uh, microbiome actually causes things such as intrauterine growth restriction or IUGR where the baby uh, is smaller than what it ought to be, uh, we're not really certain about that yet.
0: All right. So, uh, and, and I would guess that there is, and, and probably has been tested, the microbiome of the amniotic fluid. Does that uh, replicate, is that right? You had said the amni- uh, the microbiome of the placenta is similar to the microbiome we find in the human mouth. What is the microbiome of the, of
1: the amniotic fluid like? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that is difficult to study with amniotic fluid um, is that, uh, you know, one of the issues is the, the way that you obtain the, the fluid sample. And you typically will have to go through the abdomen and the uterus in order to obtain the fluid sample. Um, and it could result in contamination, uh, the other thing that is of concern is that oftentimes the purpose of doing an amniocentesis is to look for um, potential infections inside of the uterus. Uh, and so oftentimes the, the data that we have is confounded by the fact that um, some of these individuals may have had symptoms or things which led to the study of the amniotic fluid. Um
0: Yeah. Although, honestly, for genetic testing, I mean, that's what, still a fairly standard um, uh, testing. Um, and, and they're simply looking for, you know, uh, cells at that point. So it seems like we would have had a a, a, lo-
1: a lot of um, uh, samples to look at. Certainly could have. And I am not aware if they have been looked at or not, to be honest with you.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, I haven't found much uh, research on it either. And I have looked. Um, but that doesn't really mean anything. All right so we've got um the microbiome uh of for the that how it might potentially impact the fetal growth uh and we've talked about the impact of the microbiome on male fertility as well um is there do we know much about if the does a woman's microbiome change during her menstrual cycle uh it
1: does actually um it, it does change throughout the menstrual cycle um, and uh, in fact, it's, it, uh, it changes for the same reason that the microbiome changes throughout the various stages of a woman's life. So in pre-pubertal girls, women that have not undergone uh, changes which result in having regular menstrual cycles, um, they actually have a very, very diverse microbiome. So lactobacilli non-dominant from microbiome. Uh, and then once uh, menstrual cycles begin to come regularly, uh, the um, the hormonal milieu, the, the hormones that are in the body um, are changed and estrogen becomes much more prominent. Estrogen is produced by the developing follicles, uh, which ultimately ovulate an egg uh, and result in kind of the normal menstrual cycle. Uh, and the estrogen at high levels uh, allows for a lactobacilli dominant change to occur. So that's where the lactobacilli dominance occurs. And it occurs more or less from the time that menstruation begins until it ends in menopause. Uh, and in menopausal women, the estrogen levels fall once again, and they have a very diverse microbiome, very similar to prepubertal girls.
0: Wow. Okay. That's interesting. And, uh, and where I want to move us now is how the knowledge of the microbiome can influence reproductive medicine. And and certainly if, uh, one thought is that if we, uh, know that a woman's microbiome shifts throughout her cycle, certainly her lifestyle, uh, lifetime as well, but, but through her, her monthly cycle, um, is that important in some way to reproductive medicine, um, for for timing of of, of are, are both for timing and also for the way that the um, the medications that we use might change the microbiome?
1: Yeah, the um, the certainly medications which are utilized during, um, for example, assisted reproduction they do change the hormones which occur, but they will often change with the same, uh, more or less mimicking the same hormonal changes that occur naturally. Um, so the the normal changes which could occur in the menstrual cycle um, would only be uh, important if um, the menstrual cycle did not correlate with implantation timing. So the fact that estrogen has to rise in order to produce an egg, uh, and then the egg and the sperm meet and travel back to the uterus to implant, uh, typically means that implantation occurs more or less in the same hormonal milieu in a cycle-to-cycle basis. Uh, And so um, the hormones that we give during assisted reproduction are typically estrogen followed by progesterone, uh, leading to the embryo transfer, uh, which would be very similar to the hormonal shifts that are seen in a woman's natural menstrual cycle.
0: Except we're giving them in much larger quantities. So, uh, and, and with, with the hope that the woman is, it, this is a, a stimulation cycle, we're hoping that the woman then will be producing more eggs. So, does the. Does the 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 hyperdrive or the hyperstimulation does well not hyperstimulation since that actually is an issue, but the um, uh, the increased amount of hormones um, does that influence the microbiome?
1: There isn't really any uh, good data that I'm aware of Dawn, to show uh, additional changes in the menstrual cycle during a stimulated IVF cycle. Um certainly we are concerned about the elevated levels of estrogen which occur in a stimulated cycle. And there are things which are done in order to decrease the chance of having, as you mentioned, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, which is a, a defined syndrome in Right. Yeah, I didn't
0: actually. Yeah, that's that's that wasn't where I was going. I just meant yeah, more than the natural
1: cycles where I was trying to go. Because you're right, that is a defined syndrome that we're kind uh,
0: um, avoiding. But
1: oftentimes we would uh, plan to do a frozen embryo transfer in those cases and give the estrogen medication at a fairly physiologic or normal dose, uh, followed by progesterone. Um, it is a very interesting thought that the Elevated levels of estrogen above and beyond what is normal or physiologic may have additional impacts on the microbiome, but I'm not aware of any data that has proven that yet.
0: You know, something that that occurs to me is that all right in in IVF, the uh, embryo is growing uh, for the first mostly usually around five, five maybe even six days in a uh, a, a medium a um, artificial medium that has been created to to help it grow but, but we've as you've mentioned we know that there is a micro in, in nature if it, if a natural conception there is a microbiome in the fallopian tubes which is normally where the embryo would be growing during this time is there uh, has there is there a thought uh, in research and in reproductive medicine now to try to mimic the microbiome of a healthy fallopian tube in the uh, the culture media that uh,
1: embryos are growing in. That Don is a really fascinating question. Um, certainly, there has been a huge amount of work which has gone into the creation of media that is used in the IVF laboratory. Uh, And Mm -hmm. there has been efforts to mimic what the environment of the embryo at various stages would be, whether it be in the fallopian tube or uh, in the uterus. And most of the efforts have gone into things such as energy sources, such as uh, lactic acid or pyruvate um, or glucose or different types of amino acids, which are utilized Um, And there are certainly media formulations such as sequential media where embryos grow in uh, one formulation of media for the first three or so days, and then they change over to another type of media. But that has often been focused on uh, the additives, the energy and amino acid additives, which are placed into the media and not necessarily the microbiome. Uh, one of the things that we get very concerned about, in fact, in culture, um, is given the fact that we're we're working <clears throat> working in a fairly warm and humid environment in order to grow the embryos, is contamination of the media. Um, so, working uh, with either bacterial or fungal contamination can be very detrimental to the embryo embryologic growth um, and. So oftentimes we attempt to avoid contamination uh, and utilize gloves and masks and things of that nature while making the media. Um, but it would be very interesting to see whether or not adding uh, quote-unquote healthy or good bacteria may be um, of interest. Um, but there is no data that I'm aware of where that has been done for certain.
0: Well, and I'm sure there would be the... Um, the, the, the the counter worry would be that it would grow uncontrolled uh, in the media because it's a really rich media that we're growing the embryos in. So I could see that that would be a a huge concern as well.
1: Absolutely. And we don't have the counterbalance of the immune system. In in the fallopian tube, there's the counterbalance of the immune system, which Mm -hmm. is working towards keeping the microbiome in check. And in the culture media, there isn't that check which is in place. In the form of the immune system.
0: Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I could see. Yeah, that would be uh, a, it would be a complex research that you would for and if you were actually doing it. Yeah. All right. You mentioned before about the possibility of cross contamination and amniocentesis because you know when you're going through skin, even if it's you're you're, you're sterilizing the skin, you're still going to be picking up. Some of the, the skin and then going through the internal part of the body, you're picking up microbiome uh, bacteria and viruses and other things that are growing. What are the uh, implications for cross-contamination um, with IVF? And I guess I'm thinking primarily right now about transfer, but there are probably other ways of uh, other potential where you're thinking, gosh, am I picking up... Um, how do I make certain that I'm not picking up or how how am I make certain that I'm not picking up bacteria and microbiomes I don't want on the other hand, would it make sense for me to be inoculating the um and, and trying to pick up some of the what we think of as as the healthy uh, the uh, the lactobacillus and things like that?
1: yeah, that's a really um very interesting question, and you know overall um the the embryo transfer process in particular. Um, does involve doing a speculum exam and looking at the cervix, which is the opening to the uterus. Um, And oftentimes, the cervix is cleaned off with a little bit of media, but is not sterilized with things like betadine, as betadine can be toxic to the embryos. Um, So it's just kind of wiped off with a a sterile gauze um, and washed off with some media. And then the embryo is transferred Um, typically under ultrasound guidance. Uh, And we do know that for sure you will have some contamination of the uh, uterine cavity with some of the cervical um, microbiome. Uh, Oftentimes that can be somewhat uh, limited by a double sheath catheter so that the outer sheath is placed through the cervix and the inner sheath is uh, advanced into the uterine cavity um, but there are going to be some uh, contamination um, some contamination of the the uterine cavity with some of the cervical flora uh, the amount of bacteria which are introduced are exceedingly small so you know we we don't oftentimes give antibiotics for this procedure given the fact that the amount of bacteria which are transmitted in the uterus are so small. Um, sometimes there is a, a process of giving vaginal metronidazole or metrogel the night before transfer to decrease the chance that there's uh, an undiagnosed bacterial vaginosis. Um, but even that is not a standardized or standard protocol amongst all the IVF centers. Um, and so, you know, I don't think that there is a huge risk of infection, certainly with embryo transfer, um, and beyond sterilizing the cervix, which we know can be embryo toxic, um, there isn't a great way of entirely eliminating the microbiome of the cervix.
0: Yeah, I wasn't really thinking so much in terms of infection. I was thinking more of just altering the natural biome that exists in the in the uterus. But but it also occurs to me, is, and you have mentioned this before, that the our immune system is very effective at 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 restoring balance. Uh, so perhaps uh, even if you're introducing, a, as you point out, a very small um, cross contamination, but I, I don't mean that from the infection standpoint, just picking up different bacteria that wouldn't normally be there. Um, I wonder if the uh, if the, the a healthy uterine microbiome wouldn't reestablish itself
1: very quickly, I would suspect that that would indeed be the case. Don. okay,
0: um, and another thing that that I have wondered is that sometimes there is medication that sh- that's used intravaginally uh, during treatment. Um, is there any evidence that would say that that uh, vaginal suppositories are are treatments? Would change the microbiome of the vagina, and then I guess especially with IVF that's probably of less concern but then but but the concern would be I suppose, if it was going to change that from the cervix and then the uterus, which is where the the uh, fetus is growing
1: yeah, so that is um, something to to think about. Um, most of the medications which are utilized intravaginally um, uh, can also be given orally or intramuscularly, but sometimes it is the, um, the um, choice of the physician and the patient to utilize intravaginal uh, medication for various reasons, some of which are very important medically. Uh, the most common types of medications which are utilized intravaginally are estrogen or progesterone. And we've already talked a little bit about how these medications can impact the microbiome. Once again, the uh, amount of medication is going to be largely mimicking the physiology. um, And so it's not likely to have a significant impact on the microbiome as it would have um, in the normal menstrual cycle. Uh, The association with the less diverse microbiome and lactobacilli-dominant microbiome um, is the thing that we'd want to consider, but those are not necessarily impacted by use of intravaginal um, medication as opposed to oral medication or intramuscular medication.
0: Okay. Um, And now to the question that every patient is going to be asking after hearing this. If you're wanting to conceive or if you're getting ready to do an IVF cycle, should you be taking probiotics? Uh, and then the counter question of that is, even if we don't know, why would you not take it just to be careful? So let's talk a bit about probiotics. First of all, what are they and and what do we know about them and the, their usefulness?
1: Yeah. So the things which can exist on the market are are prebiotics and probiotics. So Prebiotics are a a special formulation of dietary fiber, which essentially acts as more or less a fertilizer for the good bacteria in your gut. Uh, And then probiotics are live bacteria found in yogurt or other fermented foods. Um, And the um, vaginal probiotics are probiotics which are placed vaginally um, and can be utilized to quote-unquote, restore a normal microbiome. Um, There have been some pilot studies looking at the treatment of dysbiosis or abnormalities in the microbiome in women who have undergone fertility treatment, but these studies are exceedingly preliminary and very inconclusive. Most of them have been termed as pilot studies. Um, And so, I think that the The problem is that we're still trying to figure out what normal and abnormal really look like. Um, There have been studies which have looked at the normal and abnormal microbiome, uh, and certainly they have found statistically significant differences in different types of bacteria, but it has not all been uh, uniform in their outcomes um, the most uniform thing that we can think of is probably lactobacilli dominant versus not, but even that has not been uh, shown consistently in enough large studies to be proven definitive. And so, I think that one of the question or one of the concerns with simply doing it just because um, is uh, that we don't really have a great understanding of the potential downsides of doing the probiotics. Um, so I think that a careful conversation with your physician and your, your clinical team is in order prior to simply starting um, with vaginal probiotics.
0: Brian, I'm very glad you said that, that uh, anything we're talking about here that that you're going to be doing uh, or potentially doing should be run through with your, uh, your medical team first because uh, they need and even if if they were to agree to it, you need they need to know that you're doing it. Excellent. And and this the, this next question is really more speculative, but what does the future hold as far as I mean I can imagine this 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 nirvana of where um we can take a pill that's full that just that that restores the balance that's out of balance in the microbiome and that and, and all medicine will become individualized, and we would no longer use blunt tools, as you mentioned, like antibiotics and other things, uh, to cure disease. Um, I'm not asking you to, um, to, to go too far in the future, since neither of us has that, uh, has that crystal ball, but uh, say within the, the short-term future, what do you see about the importance, what might be happening in areas of utilizing the microbiome to, to treat
1: infertility? Well, I think this is the most exciting part of the the story of the microbiome, and of course, we're as you mentioned, not there yet, but I think that we could get there soon um and personalized medicine has become something that is pervasive in all areas of medicine, so trying to uh further uh solidify and characterize the type of treatments that we utilize for patients. Uh, that are much more individualized uh, than a broad spectrum uh, mallet, if you were, if you were, mm-hmm. um, and so you know I think that the microbiome lends itself potentially very nicely to this. Uh, there are, as we 've mentioned uh, wide varieties of what uh, normal may look like, uh, and given that it is not all one thing, either normal or abnormal but maybe abnormal exists along a spectrum, perhaps treatment could also exist along the spectrum. And perhaps there's better treatments for different versions of abnormal uh, rather than a one treatment fits all approach. So I do think that the microbiome will lend itself very nicely to personalized medicine in the future. Um, again, I think that we still need to have a better understanding of what abnormal and normal are. And then comes the ability to, um, with a personalized medicine approach, begin to do intervention trials where we uh, attempt to intervene on things that have been deemed abnormal and see if we can improve outcomes.
0: Well, and, and just to follow up with that, is one of the problems, how do we determine what normal and abnormal is? So just in an even a, a pregnant or a non-pregnant woman, how do we get to the, the place in the body, the fallopian tubes, the area around the, the, the ovaries,
1: the uterus? How do we get
0: to it without the possibility of cross-contamination? How do we test this type of stuff?
1: That is certainly one of the most challenging things that exists in the, in the study of the microbiome is the risk of cross-contamination when you are doing um, the, uh, the procedure to get the sample. Um, One of the potential areas uh, would be to uh, get the sample at the time of an otherwise routine procedure, such as an embryo transfer. So the embryo transfer may indeed cause cross-contamination, although minor, as we've talked about. But the embryo transfer has to be done in order to perform IVF. There isn't another way that we're aware of yet to get the embryo into the uterine cavity. And so perhaps studying embryo transfer catheter tips or endometrial fluid obtained at the time of embryo transfer may serve as a good mechanism to have a outcomes-based correlation. So doing assessments at the time of embryo transfer and following to outcome, either uh, not pregnant, pregnant, uh, miscarriage delivered, uh, etc could provide a good window into the treatment.
0: Yeah that that makes yeah and that's all in the future but it is exciting. Uh I find it really exciting to think about the advances that could happen working working with our body and what uh, what is already present in our body. Thank you so much uh Dr. Jason Fernaziac, for being with us today to talk about how the micro, human microbiome may influence fertility, both male and female. Let me remind everyone that this show is brought to you by the support of our partners, and these are organizations that believe in our mission of bringing unbiased, medically accurate information to the patient community. One such partner is Cooper Surgical, Surgical Fertility and Genomics. They are a global leader in IVF and reproductive genetics. Cooper Surgical Fertility and Genomic Solutions is proud to provide comprehensive genetic counseling to their patients, and they provide an array of of tests for their patients, PGTA, PGTM, PGTSR, as well as the ER endometrial receptivity testing. Uh, And they are a proud partner of Creating a Family. And as always, let me remind you that the information, the views, the views expressed in this show are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the position of creating a family, our partners, are our underwriters. And also, keep in mind that the information given in this interview is general advice. To understand how it applies to your specific situation, you really need, do need to work with your infertility professional. Thank you so much for joining us today, and I will see you next week.